From the home of creative writing on the internet, live and uncensored, this is Latopia After Dark. Featuring a fusion of low-down gossip and lofty debate. All hosted by Latopia's Peter Cox. Well, very good evening to you. This is a special edition of Latopia After Dark. It's actually being recorded on Thursday, the 3rd of July, although you're more likely to be listening to it as from Friday, the 25th of July. And the reason is we are taking a short holiday break. We're going on vacation. However, Latopia After Dark will be continuing by the magic of pre-recording. And this is the first of three pre-recorded Latopia After Darks that you'll be able to listen to perhaps when you're on holiday too. And because it is holiday season, we wanted to give you an idea of what our regular panellists will be recommending for your holiday reading this year. Books for you to take away and enjoy on the beach or on the piste or wherever. Um, And it's a very good evening to our regular panellists, Donna Borman from Florida, Eve Harvey from the Highlands of Scotland, uh, Dave Bartram from England's West Country, and Carolyn Sutar from rural Suffolk in England. Um, Dave, are you going to be on the piece this year? Oh, I don't know about that. It's that skiing thing, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes. Uh, it's also yeah. a, an attempt at a vulgar pun, but we'll pass over that quickly. <laughs> I'll be on something. Piste, possibly not. Let's dive straight in, Dave, and give us, give us your first recommendation for holiday reading. Oh, my first one is probably the most serious one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Time Waster Diaries by Robin Cooper. Okay. Have you heard of that one? I haven't, no. Has anybody else on the panel? No, no. Okay. Nope. Give, give us a little bit of uh, background. Uh, well, I heard it being read by Paul Whitehouse on Radio 4 mm-hmm. and thought it hilarious. I bought the book. And it's, it's, it's the, the diary of a man who's been uh, sacked from his job for writing letters to companies about his amazing inventions on work's time. And uh, he just catalogues his year in, very much in the tradition of Diary of a Nobody and things like that. It's, it's very quirkily English and very, very funny. And it's a fantastic episodic read, you know, because it's diary form. You can pick it up, put it down. And it's just genuinely amusing. Very nice. That's fantastic. Do you want to give us a little extract if you've got one handy? Okay, yeah. Um, he has a, a Swiss-German pen friend. Uh, and this is an extract from his Swiss-German pen friend's, one of his letters. Uh, My dear friendly Robin, the house handle situation is now returned and we do not know what to do otherwise. When we are first finding it, we are gross shocken. I was telephoning the central plats on repeated times and Heidi was looking everywhere for the Stoffen and Nepalung. We have now tried with blast and waterings, but nothing it seems is working. Heidi was so unhappy that she now has to sleep with Hans and Lotte Schwimberg. Lotte was also unhappy, but Hans was happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite surreal. It's very sp- <laughs> Thank you very much, Dave. That's, um, that's, that's, that starts us off in a particularly interesting direction, I feel. Yeah. Um, Eve, what, what's your first choice for holiday reading? My first choice is The Knife That Killed Me by Anthony McGowan. Mm. It, it's a boy's book. Yeah. It's a teen It sounds like, book. I was going to say, is, is, is it a teen young adult? And it is. Yes, yeah. it is. It's, it's brilliant. I just love Anthony McGowan. Hmm. This is very different from his other 
books, though. Um, Hellbent and Henry Tumor are the last two books that he's written, um, and they're funny. They're they're you know they're humorous. Hellbent. I'm afraid I had to give up reading because it was just really too boyish. It was full of disgusting. My kids loved it. Really? Um, but it was I think very- that's, that's, a, that's a big trend at the moment. Actually. I was with the publisher, uh, young adult publisher this afternoon, who um, has just bought a book with a very similar sounding title. And I think these things go in waves, actually. The title, if I can remember it, is uh, My... It's either My Life as a Serial Killer. Or no, it's not. It's I Am Not a Serial Killer which I think is an interesting title for a young adult book. Yeah. Anyway, tell us a bit more yeah. about it. Um, it's, uh, it's, it starts off, um, the boy says he's dead, and, and it follows the knife um, as it goes through. The knife appears every so often, getting closer and closer and closer to him as he tells the story in the run-up to what has happened at the end kind of thing the knife that killed me Um, and it's just the story of how he got himself into this situation and it's very timely about knife crime and how these things can happen Um, even though he wasn't a bad boy, he didn't mean to do it, you know, and he just got himself into this situation by carrying this knife and and it's it's a fantastic book. So it really is, it is, sort of, is it a morality tale? It doesn't it doesn't sound humorous. I mean, what's what's the? No, it's not. This is it's very different from his last two. Mm. Um, and it's yes, I, I think it is a morality tale. Actually, it's you know very subtle. Uh, you wouldn't go away from it thinking, oh well, he's just trying to tell me something. But yeah. it, it underlying it, you could get a, a good message out of this book. It's yes. very 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 good. Okay, well, two, two, yeah, okay, well, two interesting contrasting choices there uh, to kick us off. Um, Donna, would you like to give us your first selection? Well, I'm going to recommend uh, another kid's book, um, this one probably more middle grade, but um, great for adults. It's by James Patterson. Everyone um, yeah. who reads his books should love this one called Maximum Ride, and um, this is the, actually the first one called The Angel Experiment, and he has a whole series of of these books. They're about um, six kids who were genetically engineered uh, to have uh, some pretty amazing powers. Uh, Among other things, they can fly, and they've escaped the lab where they were engineered, and people are after them to bring them back, and um, it's a, a good, fast, fun read for the summer. Yes, that sounds great. Um, A little extract at all? Well, um, I'm going to start with uh, chapter one, although there is a prologue, but chapter one really starts off with a bang, and and I love it. The funny thing about facing imminent death is that it really snaps everything else into perspective. Take right now, for instance. Run. Come on, run. You know you can do it. I gulped deep lungfuls of air. My brain was on hyperdrive. I was racing for my life. My one goal was to escape. Nothing else mattered. My arms being scratched to ribbons by a briar I'd just run through, no biggie. My bare feet hitting every sharp rock, rough root, pointed stick, not a problem. My lungs aching for air, I could deal. As long as I could put as much distance as possible between me and the erasers. Yeah, erasers. Mutants. Half men, half wolves. Usually armed, always bloodthirsty. Right now, they were after me. See? That snaps everything into perspective. Stirring stuff. Interesting that we've had already out of three nominated books for our listeners' holiday reading, um, two young adult novels. And I was also discussing that today with the publisher. I mean, in the UK, of course, age banding is still quite a big issue here, very, very controversial issue. Well, I personally can't quite see why it should be so controversial, but it is. 
And we were discussing um, the limits to which, I suppose, really different age groups are happy to cross over into another age group. And you, So we've had Eve and Donna recommend two young adult novels. But basically, they, both of those have been recommended for adult readership, haven't they? Isn't that right in your case, Donna? Oh, yeah. Mm. I, I, I love this book. Um, I think it's fantastic. Um, I, I, I'd say anybody over, say, age 9 or 10 would love it. I agree. I love that book too, Donna. <laughs> it's a brilliant series, the Maximum Ride series. It's fantastic. And hugely successful too. Yes. Oh yeah. And there's a new. Well, one. I love James Patterson. So how how could I pass by in a bookstore and and turn down a James Patterson kids book? So I, I picked it up knowing that I was going to get something great, and it was. What is it about, um, as you say, kids books, or we should really say young adults? Do you think? That, that appeals to the adult reader? Well, I, I think that kids' books right now are the best written books out there. I mm. find it hard to switch back to adult books because they are, are actually slower reads for me. Mm. Kids' books move fast. They're um, more cleverly plotted. Um, the words are more spare because they have to be shorter as a general rule. So I just think it's best, the best writing out there right now. Yeah, good summary. Uh, Carolyn, your first nomination, please. Well, mine, of course, because I'm going to be a serious so-and-so, aren't I? But oh. I, I really can't recommend this book highly enough. It's one of those ones that you've always wanted to read but couldn't be bothered to read the whole thing. So yeah. I'm going to recommend Samuel Pepys' The Unequaled Self, which is a biography by Claire Tomalin. Fantastic. It won the Whitbread Book of the Year in 2002, and I'd recommend it because the way she describes the social living aspects and how she puts his life into modern speak is terrific. I love this. And I'm, what's interested to me as a biographer is that I can tell that she wrote the prologue after she wrote the first chapter because hmm. the first chapter is all over the place. Yeah. As, as anybody, you know, oh God, how do I start? Too much information, but... If I may, I'd like just to read a tiny bit of the prologue because she puts it so amazingly. Yes, please. And she's, she puts something in that is, resonates with all of us. Now, that they've had an argument. It's late at night. And what she told him that uh, this is what she says to him. What was really upsetting her, she said, was that she was lonely. She suffered so much from loneliness that she'd written him a letter expressing her unhappiness. She reminded him and handed it to him two months ago. But he refused to read it and burnt it without even glancing at her carefully chosen words. Now she told him she had kept a copy. It was something she must have learnt from his meticulous office habits. And she called their maid Jane into the bedroom, gave her the keys of her trunk, and told her to fetch the bundle of papers. The scene is played out in front of us on the page of his diary. It's Friday, January the 9th. 1663, and why it makes it so apposite for all of us is, you know, it's a real modern day scene, because the quorum was made up in the evening, but, but the morning scene was a painful landmark in the marriage. To both husband and wife, the written word was of great importance. Both were readers, and destruction of the written evidence of their love and its history was a symbolic act. Mm. It's an amazing book. The photos are incredible. And, you know, for real gory stuff about how he had his kidney stones removed, don't even go there. <laughs> but, whoa, he got he was a randy old so-and-so. At it with everybody, and I don't understand how, how he got any work done because he was always writing music, always playing music, 
and uh, always out with his mates. Fantastic. Very good stuff. Yeah, You'd it, enjoy it. It, it sounds, sounds very good. What, what sort of makes, um, you know, because we think about holiday ratings being sort of light, trivial, trash stuff, really, but that's, that's anything but. I mean, what, what for you, Carolyn, makes a, a good holiday book? Oh, well, I'm terribly disrespectful about all of this. I go for the biggest thing I can find. Hmm. You know, like you used to get the old, uh, uh, the old Harold Robbins, the biggest thing I could find, so I could also use it as a headrest by, when by, I'm sunbathing. Okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> but it has to be, you have to have the two things. You have to have something serious that you've always wanted to read. Yeah. And you have to have something frivolous. And you just hope that you haven't picked up the total and utter tosh. Now, I've got various examples, if you'd like to hear my examples. Mm, well, what I've been doing is I've, because, uh, you know, I've got this hell of an agent. He's a real brute. I've heard. And I, I, I really hesitate passing things to him, but yeah. I'm onto the first page hike, and I've been looking very much at what I enjoy reading and why it's attracted my attention. And the one that really I thought should absolutely crack it, I love reading the Falco books by Lindsay Davis, um, and he's a, he's a um, detective in Rome, mm-hmm. an informer, and she's written loads of these books, they're really good value for money. And this is from Shadows in Bronze, and I thought, what a cracking opening paragraph. May I read it to you, Mr. Cox? Go for it. By the end of the alley, the fine air hairs in my nostrils were starting to twitch. It was late May, and the weather in Rome had been warm for a week. Energetic spring sunlight had been beating on the warehouse, warehouse roof, fermenting a generous must inside. All the eastern spices would be humming like magic, and the corpse we'd come to bury would be lively with human gases and decay. And I thought she'd just cracked it with that. Because mm. everything was there. We Get knew where it, it was, yeah. who it was. There's, there's horror. There's visceral stuff. Yep. And she cracked it. Nice. And as usual, she cracked it. She's an amazing writer. And I'd say anybody passing the airport bookshop and sees a Lindsay Davis, Marcus Didius Falco novel, go for it. Because she's so irreverent about her, her characters. She writes very rude things about them at the beginning in her uh, cast list. Great stuff. Great fun. Good stories. Fantastic. Um, just look at my... And then there's the rubbish, <laughs> you know. Sorry, Peter. No, no, no. Carry on. Well, then there's the rubbish. I picked up something that everybody said to me, oh, you must read this in my library. This is Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. Oh, yeah. Ishiguro, oh, rather. Yeah, yeah. Um, my, it's my personal opinion. This is not the opinion of anybody else. But I was exhausted after reading this first sentence, so I haven't read the book. Give us the first my sentence. Name is, my name is Kathy H. I'm 31 years old, and I've been a carer now for over 11 years. That sounds long enough, I know. But actually, they want me to go on another eight months until the end of the year. That will make it almost exactly 12 years. Now I know my being a carer is I've given up. He's showing off, isn't he? Yes, mm. and I'm just very interested. I picked loads. Cause yeah. You're saying, you look, at, look at me, you... I can get this sentence published. You can't. <laughs> yes, well, <laughs> there's always that. Yeah. That is the downside. Yes. <laughs> but you know, there is some, I, I just have no idea why some things get published. Uh, but it's just interesting. I've been hearing a lot of why I read something once I've read the first paragraph. So there you are. That's my eclectic lock. I've got Notting Hill by Rachel Johnson, Atlantis by David Gibbons. Both of these have got cracking starts. And there you are. Okay, well, I hope you've got, you got something in reserve because I'm going to be asking you for another choice in a moment. Um, just look at, uh, I thought it'd be a good idea actually just to put together all the books I'm going to take away this year, most of which are unread. 
Um, and it looks quite a serious lot, actually. Not that I intend to be very serious on holiday. I've got um, Every Mind by Philip Roth. Now, I've, uh, several of these books I've already tried to read, actually. <laughs> um, and I have tried to read this previously, and I got to about page 14 or 15, and I decided to myself it actually wasn't very well written, which is probably heresy to say, and I was probably dead wrong. So I'm going to give it another go because it's an incredibly thin book and it should be easy. I've got um, something called The Last Hours of Ancient Sunlight, which is non-fiction by Tom Hartman, um, which has been called one of the most important books you will ever read in your life. I love uh, endorsements like that on the front. It's essentially about us all running out of uh, fossil fuels, which is the reference to ancient sunlight on the cover. It sounds quite interesting, quite eschatological. I've got a classic, I suspect I'm not going to get a, uh, make a lot of progress with this actually, by Balzac called The Wild Ass's Skin, but it's one of those books that always gets packed and uh, uh, usually comes back unread. I've got Mother's Milk by Edward St. Aubin. It's got fantastic reviews. Um, had it on the shelves for about 18 months, never got into it. So I'm going to try and get into that this You'll year. You'll enjoy that. Oh, you, you have, have you read that. this? Have you read it? Yes, I have, yes. And it's a good one, is Absolutely it? Absolutely amazing, yes. Brilliant. Okay, it was Absolutely rec- recommended by up. Carolyn in that case. That goes to the top yeah. of my list. I've got The Elegant New Universe by Brian Greene, about a third of which I did read on holiday last year. Um, and I came out of it understanding everything there is to know about relativity. And I felt very pleased uh-huh. with myself. And then three days afterwards, I've forgotten it all, of course. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to have another go now. At least it makes you feel as if you understand it at the time. I can't mention a book list without mentioning good old Thomas Paine. I'm probably his number one fan at the moment. I like Thomas Paine a lot. Very appropriate reading, considering, at least uh, tomorrow, because we're recording this on the 3rd of July, of course, 4th of July tomorrow. Um, A book I was given probably about a year ago now by a publisher, embarrassed not to have read it, it's by Paddy Ashdown, Swords and Plowshares. Anybody read that? No. No? No. Okay, Bringing Peace to the 21st Century. Um, he can be a bit pompous, can Paddy Ashdown, but he's, I think he's probably got quite a lot of good things to say. And then, well, I think he, sorry for interrupting, I think he'd be important because at least he's, um, A, he's ex-military, he's yeah. actually done it, been at the pointy end, True. and he's been in Bosnia for how long? Well, he I was, mean, there, he was there for years. years. Yes, yes, exactly. So he's going, he's going to have quite a lot to say including where has all the money gone, I should think. Probably, exactly, yeah. And my last one is, I think this is perhaps Garrison Keillor's most recent book. Uh, It's called Pontoon, a novel of Lake Wobegon, which kind of fills me with dread, actually, because, you know, Lake Wobegon has exploded into enormous industry, really. And I have sort of very mixed feelings about Garrison Keillor, but we are going to Minnesota, so I think, um, you know, even if I don't completely read it, then perhaps other members of the family will do. You ever read any Garrison Keillor, Donna? Um, I haven't read him, but I, I've listened uh, to the shows yeah. a few times, and I really enjoy him. I, I think he's very funny, but it's very, very American humor. So yeah. uh, be aware that uh, it, it, just like uh, uh, Americans listening to some very British humor, you, you may not get all of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dave, have you experimented Garrison Keillor, or have you have you got your your own prospective reading list? Um, Gar- I, I saw his book on a shelf once. Uh, my prospective <laughs> reading list—I've <laughs> seen a lot, actually. I, that's nodding acquaintance with many books. I, I'm one of those people who t- often revisits old favourites on holiday hmm. rather than buying new ones. Yeah, uh, and I often pick up the the kind of the worthy, sometimes scholarly book I really ought to be reading 
and haven't. Like um, this year, I've got um, a selection of Spike Milligan war memoirs because I just love them. Mm. And I just go back to them time and time again. They make me laugh every time. I've got a very amusing bit here if anybody is interested. Go for it, yeah. Take it or leave it. Well, this is like our um, gross copyright infringement show. So, you know, if we're going to be... Uh... <laughs> well, I'm attributing. I'm not pretending it's mine. This is Spike Milligan. All right, fine. Um, and speaking about everything you need to know, if I dissolve into fits of laughter at, at, towards the end, I do apologise, <laughs> but I can't read this stuff, no matter how many times I've read it, without smirking like a schoolboy. Um, You've always been sad, though, haven't you? Ah, uh, yes. It's a long story. It goes back to my mother, you know. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, I hope it does. Next week. Yes. Um, um, at night, we wore every bit of clothing we had. Then we rolled ourselves into four blankets. We look nine months gone, said Edgington. Any advance on nine, I cried. We slept warmly, but it overlooked the need to commune with nature. It took frantic searching through layers of clothing to locate one's willy, and some never did and had to sleep with a damp leg. Gunner Mortis solved the problem. He slid a four-foot length of bicycle inner tube over his willy, secured it around his waist with string. He just had to stand up and let go. Jealous, Gunner White sabotaged it. As Maunders slept, Fiend White tied knots in the bottom of the tube. <laughs> it's, I just love these things, because they go from the sublime to the ridiculous to the terribly sad and poignant, and then back again. Mm. Every human emotion is there. They just, I love them to bits. So I always go back to them. I've got Three Men in a Boat, which I intend to read again this summer. Oh, fantastic. Oh, yes. wonderful. Because wonderful. It, it, is, it is the quintessential summer book. I've got Noah Noah by Gauguin, which I keep trying to get through, and one day I will, hmm. which is very nice. And A Walk in the Woods by Bill Bryson, which, again, I've enjoyed in the past, and I, I like it. Right. I love when that you, book. Yeah, when he gets off his high horse, he's hilarious. Yeah. Just, just tell me about Spike Milligan. Um, for our American listeners, actually the majority of our listeners are American, um, how would you begin to explain what Spike Milligan is, or was, of course? I suppose, you, you, would you start with Monty Python, perhaps? Oh, he goes way back before that, doesn't he? He's hmm. Goon Show and before that. He, he's, he was a, kind of the, the most eccentric of a whole generation of British comedians who found the stage as soldiers in the Second World War, or in his case, when he was... Um, signed off as bomb happy after a, a mortar bomb exploded too close to him mm. he found he started entertaining mostly playing jazz initially and then he started doing stand-up because they he was in a group called the bill hall trio and bill hall was the uh, fiddle player and notoriously unreliable so he started telling jokes to fill in for the time till this bloke would turn up uh right before the show or sometime into the show and he just developed from there so he's, he's you know harry seacombe and all those kinds of people who just came out through the army. So there's this, there's this deep, ridiculous sense of humour that was developed in extraordinarily adverse circumstances. And like all it's humor, like Itmar, wasn't it? So Itmar and all those, all those radio shows that were so important to people in the 50s. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, he, he, was, he was an icon of, of, our, of our times, really. Mm. And he, he encapsulated the, the, the horror and the ludicrousness and the, the wonderfulness of... of things that people can do you know he was a manic depressive like any number of comedians and he spent time in in institutions and all sorts of things and a surrealist really would you say yeah he made connections between things that other people don't i mean who was it who said um you know there's beauty in the meeting of uh, something and an ironing board in a desert i can't remember what it was. and that's what he does um he just throws things together in a way 
that you wouldn't expect and makes humour. I mean, he wrote a, a play called The Bed Sitting Room. I don't know if anybody remembers that. No, I don't. Know. No, it's no, made, no. made into a film, and it's post-apocalyptic um, Britain you know, after a nuclear war, and this man uh, gradually mutates in the as a result of the radiation and turns into a bed sitting room, and some people move into him. <laughs> Good heavens! <laughs> it's just bizarre, and you've just got to you have to put yourself in a completely different mental place to really get his humour. But his war memoirs are just so full of pathos and oh. so ridiculously hilarious. Um, did you, excuse me for interrupting, but did you see him on um, uh, This Is Your Life? No, I don't think I did, no. Well, there was a very poignant moment because he brought up his daughters by himself. And, you know, the guy doing, I think it, well, don't know if it was Eamon Andrews, whoever it was, said to Milligan, you know, that must have been extraordinary because, as you said, Dave, you know, manic depressant, very busy in his life. You know, and he asked the daughters whether there are any particular moments that they remembered. And I, I mean, I just, this is so poignant. They, all, they came back from school one day and said they were in a lot of trouble because their names weren't on their school shirt. So he picked up a very big black felt tip pen and wrote Milligan across their backs, <laughs> straight on the shirts. And they said, you know, we knew why he did it. Didn't exactly help, but it was so poignant. Karen. Do we have Darth Vader's choice of holiday reading at all? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hold on a minute. Surprising, he'd probably have a whole bunch of Sydney Sheldons stashed in his suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta keep that in. Right, I'm going to blow on it just now. No, there. It's strangely arousing, that... isn't it? Really? Um... <laughs> Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? <laughs> I hope you're breathing. Right, no, I'll move it out. Uh, right, I've now got my earpiece on my cheek. Okay. <laughs> Is that any better? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely better. So, Eve, what's your second? Cho- Eve, what's your second choice for holiday reading? My second choice is a book that's actually involved in the age banding row at the moment. Um, it's been mentioned in the Guardian today. I it's Ostrich Boys by Keith Gray, oh. and I went to see uh, Keith talking about writing for teenagers last week. He's a writer from he he's writer from Edinburgh. Um, and I went to see um, him and Kate Thompson r- talking about writing for teenagers. Now, his book has got teen on the back, um, and he didn't know this was going to happen. Oh, and is he pleased and about that? He isn't pleased he's about that. He's livid about it, is he? <laughs> yes, he was slightly livid about it. Um, and he didn't know this was happening. But Ostrich Boys is, I would say, aimed at teens. But you could have, you know, it could be for 10 and up. There's really nothing in it that isn't uh, suitable for more for younger children. Um, it's about, it, I'll read you the first sentence, which is absolutely brilliant. First yeah, hold on a second here. Uh, Carolyn, it is you. I can see you <laughs> pulsating here. You're, you're doing the Darth Vader act here. <laughs> Sorry, there you go. Excuse me. <laughs> okay. Go on, sorry, go on, go on, Ed. Right, I'll read you I'll read you the first paragraph, which is absolutely brilliant. Our best friend was Ash in a jar. Ross was dead. Kenny, Sim and I were learning to live with it. So the best friend Ross is dead, um and he's been cremated. Um and on the front cover it says it's not really kidnapping, is it? You'll have to be alive for it to be a proper kidnapping. And what they do is they kidnap their friend Ross who's ash in a jar, 
um, and take him to Ross, which was his, um, di- his, his, his wish when he was alive. He found a, that there was a place called Ross in um, Dumfries hmm. and Galloway, um, sort of south of southern Scotland. Um, and they live in, down south in England. And they travel the 261 miles from Cleethorpes to Ross in southern Scotland. And it's the mishaps that they get into losing their bag, losing their money. Um, and it's these four boys. And it's really a journey. Um, and it, it kind of tells you that boys don't really talk. Oh. Um, they say a lot but they don't actually talk. And it's, it's really, it's about teen suicide underneath it all, whether Ross actually killed himself by driving his bike in front of a car or whether it was an accident. And they all think that they are the best friends in the world. Um, and actually, they don't really talk to each other about their problems. And it is, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's absolutely so it's strong, brilliant. So strong stuff. So from Eve Harvey, our podcast officer, we have one book about knife crime and another about teen suicide. <laughs> it's really, uh, you've got to have an interesting holiday this year, Eve. <laughs> I'm sorry. So where is she going on holiday? <laughs> <laughs> it's, to, it's getting boys to read. Uh, I mean, I'm certainly, you know... Uh, always wanting to get kids to read and and these wonderful books are being produced uh, you know boys will will read they're they're aimed at them and they'll get them to to read books and 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 i i'm a true believer in in trying to at least try so anybody with teenage boys who's going to be bored on holiday my two choices are fantastic for Jolly them. good. Okay, well, let me uh, follow in the same kind of vein, actually. I've got um, a uh, recommendation. You may have already read it because it's, uh, it's been a wildly successful book, uh, and I actually read it last year on holiday. It's called The Road by Cormac McCarthy. And it's, um, it's the kind of book that um, I think you, that most people would enjoy. Um, it's, I think it's um, uh, two minds about recommending it, really, to, to a writer because um, it's, you know, when you go on holiday, you want to go on holiday. You don't want to go on a busman's holiday, really, do you? But I think any writer or um, aspiring writer um, can read this and learn quite a lot from it because it, it really is. I mean, I think he's, he's 71, 72 or something when he wrote it, but it really is a writer at the height of his powers. Um, it's not to say that I necessarily like the book hugely. Um, a lot of people have said a lot of amazingly gushy things. I'm just looking for a review here by none other than George Monbiot, who's a British environmental campaigner. Um, and um, he um, declared that McCarthy was one of the 50 people who could save the planet in an article published in January 2008. Monbiot wrote, it could be the most important environmental book ever. It's a thought experiment that imagines a world without a biosphere and shows that everything we value depends on the ecosystem. Um, And and when he first um, reviewed the book in The Guardian, British newspaper, he wrote, a few weeks ago I read what I believe is the most important environmental book ever written. It's not Silent Spring, Small is Beautiful, or even Walden. It contains no graphs, tables, facts, figures, warnings, predictions, or even arguments, nor does it carry a single dreary sentence, which sadly distinguishes it from most environmental literature. It's a novel first published a year ago, and it will change the way you see the world. Um, I think that's a load of... Tosh, actually. Um, I don't think it's it's remotely like an environmental book at all. Um, but um, it is, you know, I think that's a, a tribute to Cormac McCarthy as a writer. He pushes a lot of people's buttons. And certainly for an environmental campaigner, George Monbiot, he pushed a lot of buttons there. He pushed buttons too for the people who award the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction 2007, which he won. 
won the 2006 James Tate Black Memorial Prize Affection finalist in the National Book Critics Circle Award. Oprah uh, went completely doolally about it, and he was actually a guest on Oprah, which was the most extraordinary thing, really, because um, he's a bit... Um, he's, he's the last person you'd really expect to see on Oprah. Um, what, what's it about? Well, it's incredibly minimalist, and um, sort of to try and summarise the, the plot, you can do it easily in one sentence, really. Um, and, but if you do, it sounds dangerously close to um, a lot of the really a, a, appalling zombie movies you've ever seen. Um, it's not actually about zombies, but it's set in the same sort of post-apocalyptic world as those zombie movies are, having just seen Resident Evil last night. It's still fresh with me. And it's it's a journey. It's a journey. Um, we don't know the people's names. It's basically there's a man and there's a boy, and they have to go on a journey from we don't really know where to, well, we don't really know where, but it's obviously in the United States. Obviously some kind of catastrophe has happened. It's a bit irritating, actually, that he, he makes it so sparse and so spare that we, we never really learn the details. Um, even stylistically, it's incredibly spare. At, at its heart, I think there's a coldness to it, uh, which might surprise a lot of people. Um, Entertainment Weekly made it their book, their number one book of the last 25 years. It, my own feeling is that it's, it is so calculating. It is a book that was written, I believe, to win prizes. And as I say, no harm in that, really, because um, he's such a good prose technician. Uh, I'll just read you a small extract from it, and you'll get a feeling for the sort of um, prose that McCarthy writes. Um, he's talking about um, the man and the boy, the father and the son. And he starts off by describing uh, the man. He dragged a footlocker across the floor between the bunks and covered it with a towel and set out the plates and cups and plastic utensils. He set out a bowl of biscuits covered with a hand towel and a plate of butter and a can of condensed milk, salt and pepper. He looked at the boy. The boy looked drugged. He brought the frying pan from the stove and forked a piece of browned ham onto the boy's plate and scooped scrambled eggs from the other pan and ladled out spoonfuls of baked beans and poured coffee into their cups. The boy looked up at him. Go ahead, he said. Don't let it get cold. What do I eat first? Whatever you like. Is this coffee? Yes. Here, you put the butter on your biscuits. Like this. Okay. Are you all right? I don't know. Do you feel okay? Yes. What is it? Do you think we should thank the people? The people? The people who gave us all this? Well, yes, I guess we could do that. Will you do it? Why don't you? I don't know how. Yes, you do. You know how to say thank you. The boy sat staring at his plate. He seemed lost. The man was about to speak when he said, Dear people, thank you for all this food and stuff. We know that you saved it for yourself, and if you were here, we wouldn't eat it, no matter how hungry we were, and we're sorry that you didn't get to eat it, and we hope that you're safe in heaven with God. He looked up. Is that okay? He said. Yes, I think that's okay. So you, you can get a feeling of the very, as I say, very sparse, spare style. Um, well worth reading. Is it one of the best books ever written? No, I don't think so, but it certainly is um, a terrific tour de force of... Uh, of a writer who knows how to do it. And that's that's my uh, that's my number one choice. Anybody read the, read the road? I hate it. <laughs> you read it. I got to page seventy five and I couldn't get any further. Oh really? What 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 stopped you? It's so bleak. It's very bleak. 
Oh, yeah, it's so grey and you don't know who anybody is and you don't identify with them. You don't even know their names and yeah. it's so grey. I can't read grey books. Yeah. Well, it, it does press people's buttons, as I say, and one of the, the, the many um, emotional um, things that, that, that he, you know, he really gets right, uh, which arguably is a, is a, is a bigger issue in you know, the American market than here, is the father-son relationship. And he addresses that brilliantly, and possibly that, that might be one of the reasons he's had so much um, praise from his male readership. I don't know. I was going to say, it wasn't there, I can't remember who said it now, but somebody said that or any significant American literature is about the relationship between fathers and sons. Hmm. You know, how many films have you seen where it's all about how the father doesn't turn up to the Little League game and... Uh, they come good in the end by realizing it's more important to be there than be at work and so on. And there's yes. this end, you know, American literature and, and movies are obsessed with that relationship anyway. So it would have done hugely well over there, wouldn't it? Yeah. Can I can I jump hijack things for a minute? It's talking about books for boys and books with green agendas and grey books. Funnily enough, there's another book that I would recommend, which has a very powerful environmental message, is incredibly clever, and that's Unlondon by China Mieville. Has hmm. anybody read that? No, no but it's on my it. list. Never heard of it. It is fantastic. Mm. Um, I'll, it's a, Un-London is a place where all the broken things from London go. And this <laughs> whole world is conjured up from useless and broken things. And there's Lost Angeles and Parisant and all these other equivalents around the world. I'll read you a little bit because I love this bit. Um, the bus looked severely battered. Where it should have had a number was instead a strange sign that might have been a drawing of a roll of paper or it might have been a random pattern. It was an old-fashioned route master of the type that had been retired from London with a pole and an open platform at the back and a separate little compartment at the front for the driver, a woman in an antiquated uniform and dark glasses. The helmswoman, said Obaday, and with her one of un-London's champions, protectors of the transit, the sacred warriors. Morning, said the man, jumping out of the vehicle. Obaday whispered, the bus conductor. <laughs> nice. It, what, a, what, a, what a creative idea. It is, it is superb, mm. and the twist it has on the classic quest narrative is fantastic. Hilarious. I would recommend it to anyone. Nice one. Donna, I, Donna, I'm going to come to you, Donna, please, for your second choice. Well, uh, first I'm going to tell you what I'm taking with me. I can't vouch for any of these books, but yep. I do want to tell you what I am going to be reading. Since I'm going on vacation next week, I'm taking three books with me. Uh, Twilight by Stephanie Meyer. Mm-hmm. And which I just started, actually. I've read three chapters of it. And the reason I've chosen it is because it's been on the top of the children's bestseller list for I can't think of how many weeks. And every part of this series has been. So I really want to see what she's doing right. And um, I've, I've actually put it off for a while because um, I've been writing a vampire story and I didn't want to be influenced. But since I'm about uh, two-thirds of the way through my first draft of it, uh, I figured I was past the point of being uh, able to be influenced. So I'm going to find out what she's doing right. Um, two other books um, also um, on the paranormal side, Magic or Madness by Justine Larbastier and um, Peeps by Scott Westerfield. Um, both of those books were actually recommended to me by the um, uh, Simon & Schuster editor who was teaching my workshop while I was writing The Vampire Story in the workshop, and um, she just suggested I would uh, enjoy them based on what she knew about me, so I'm going to take her recommendations. Um, the book that I'm going to recommend uh, strongly is uh, one that I have read and I really enjoyed uh, called The Lightning Thief by Rick Reardon. 
and um, it's also part of a, a series, middle grade series. Um, maybe I'm just a big kid, but I, I do love uh, kids' books, and that's primarily what I read. Um, and the, the idea behind the Lightning Thief and the whole Olympians uh, series is that uh, these children are descended from Greek gods. And um, it's uh, a great idea, a great series, and um, really has a great beginning. Um, I don't know where Carolyn gets these ideas about reading beginnings because I just spent a whole week re- reading um, first chapters of books. So oh. um, maybe we have something in common there. Um, I, I spent a whole week, uh, and, I, and I found um, some books that I really thought had first chapters that were fantastic. And this is actually one of them. And um, the chapter, the, the first chapter is called, I Accidentally Vaporize My Pre-Algebra Teacher. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, you can't, you can't argue with that, can you? <laughs> and um, here's the beginning of it. Look, I didn't want to be a half-blood. If you're reading this because you think you might be one, my advice is close this book right now. Believe whatever lie your mom or dad told you about your birth and try to lead a normal life. Being a half-blood is dangerous. It's scary. Most of the time, it gets you killed in painful, nasty ways. If you're a normal kid reading this because you think it's fiction, great. Read on. I envy you for being able to believe that none of this ever happened. But if you recognize yourself in these pages... If you feel something stirring inside, stop reading immediately. You might be one of us. And once you know that, it's only a matter of time before they sense it too. And they'll come for you. Don't say, I didn't warn you. Knockout beginning, isn't it, really? A fa- fantastic beginning. Yeah. And how can you not read on? Exactly. It's, it's, it's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, and, and actually, there's uh, quite a few children's stories that kind of start with a warning not to read on. And... and um, I like the series on, of unfortunate events. Yes, I was continually just told people to stop yeah, reading. Yeah. So uh, uh, it, it's stop fun. In the film, <laughs> <laughs> somebody should have told me that before I even started. Dreadful. Uh, those books are so wonderful. The series of unfortunate events. I could never put them down. Great reads. Carolyn, your second choice, please. My second choice is one that I just had to read because Nicholas Coleridge of Spectator has been quoted as saying, snappy, witty, clever, shallow, heartless, and hugely readable. (laughs) Hmm. It's called Notting Hell by Rachel Johnson, who wrote uh, The Mummy Diaries, which I haven't read. Um, And the fact that it's shallow probably means that I won't enjoy it at all. But I'm taking it with me because I liked the first chapter. And it goes like this. I don't know what woke me up. I drank no alcohol last night. I observed the carb curfew. I had only one espresso during the day. Plus, I did a Pilates class and hours of gardening in the fresh air. But I'm definitely awake now, wide awake. So I'm going to give this a go because um, whilst I'm sure it's just pure chick lit. Yeah. It's got, it's a riotous comedy of manners. Yes. Now that appeals to me. Well, so is... I'm going to enjoy that and I, I will report back. Fantastic. Maybe, if you're really unlucky. Look forward to that. Thank you, Carolyn. Dave, your second choice, please. Well, it's not, it's, I mean, it's technically about your 84th book. Yeah, true. I'm working on it. Yeah. Um, I'm actually going to go back to um, Three Men in a Boat mm. because 
I, I often pick this one up. I say it's it's hilarious. Um, anybody who reads and hasn't read this has just done themselves a great disservice, I think. And it's from near the beginning where he's in the British Library and um, he determines that he has every ailment known to man except housemaid's knee. And uh, he starts talking about liver pills and how he suffered with his liver as a child. And uh, this is his little commentary on that. In the present instance, going back to the liver pill circular, because he'd seen a circular about liver pills and helping you uh, overcome the terrible effects of liver conditions. I had the symptoms beyond more mistake, the chief among them being a general disinclination to work of any kind. What I suffer in that way, no tongue can tell. From my earliest infancy, I have been a martyr to it. As a boy, the disease hardly ever left me for a day. They did not know then that it was my liver. Medical science was in a far less advanced state than now, and they used to put it down to laziness. Why, you skulking little devil, you, they would say, get up and do something for your living, can't you? Not knowing, of course, that I was ill. And they didn't give me pills. They gave me clumps on the side of the head. And strange as it may appear, those clumps on the head often cured me for the time being. I have known one clump on the head have more effect upon my liver and make me feel more anxious to go straight away then and there and do what was wanted to be done without further loss of time than a whole box of pills does now. You know it is often so. Those simple old-fashioned remedies are sometimes more efficacious than all the dispensary stuff. going to be a very strange coincidence, but you've just happened to name as your last choice, in fact the last choice of the show... My all-time favourite book. Oh, weird. Yeah. It's wonderful. I love it. I just go back to it over and over again because it's just... You've got to be patient to read it because yeah. the prose is, you know, it's Victorian prose, so it's somewhat long-winded. Well, it's Edwardian, and, really. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, but, you know, it'll take two pages to set you up for the joke. Yes, exactly. Something that would be done in about three lines in a modern book. It takes two pages to get there. Yeah. Like the, uh, the attack on the pineapple tin. Yes, <laughs> I laugh out. It's 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 a fantastic book. It's laugh out loud funny. The humour is gentle, but it's very strong. Once once you get it, uh, it's humane. You know that you like the author, whoever he is. He you know his his personality comes comes over. Um, Banks of atmosphere as well. A very interesting period in time, really, when it was written. I think it was <clears throat> rather sort of you know a brief flowering of optimism. Of course, uh, only a decade or so before the horrors of the First World War. And um, he's he's a good writer. I wouldn't say he's, he's a terrifically great writer. I think he can veer into purple prose quite easily, as a lot of his mm. contemporaries could do. But, you know, as as an overall book, as a book to read and reread, and how many books do we actually reread these days? I mean, I, yeah, I, um, I was first exposed to Jerome K. Jerome probably about the age of six, and um, it stayed with me all my life. So thank you very much for that, Dave. That's yeah, a great one. I love it. Before we wrap up, is anybody burning to throw in any any uh, final um, additional contributions? Actually, I'd like to. Um, since I did spend a week reading first chapters, uh, I found I think my all time favorite first paragraph of a book is in A as for Al- A is for Alibi by Sue Grafton. Um, she's got a long running series, and and I just happened to run across this book, and I thought the fir- the first paragraph was fantastic. I don't know if we have time to read it, yeah. but I would recommend it to anybody who is trying to write a really great first paragraph. Do we have time? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay. My name is Kinsey Milhone. I'm a private investigator licensed by the state of California. I'm 32 years old, twice divorced, no kids. The day before yesterday, I killed someone, and the fact weighs heavily on my mind. 
I'm a nice person and I have a lot of friends. My apartment is small, but I like living in a cramped space. I've lived in trailers most of my life, but lately they've been getting too elaborate for my taste, so now I live in one room, a bachelorette. I don't have pets. I don't have houseplants. I spend a lot of time on the road, and I don't like leaving things behind. Aside from the hazards of my profession, my life has always been ordinary, uneventful, and good. Killing someone feels odd to me, and I haven't quite sorted it through. I've already given a statement to the police, which I initialed page by page and then signed. I filled out a similar report for the office files. The language in both documents is neutral, the terminology oblique, and neither says quite enough. Fantastic, yeah. It's a, it's a good one, isn't it? Page turner as well. Yeah, it's great because it's uh, she talks a lot about herself, but then she throws in the whole killing someone, and it's fascinating. You have to you have to turn the page, and it's turned into such a long series. No wonder. Thank you. I want to say thank you so much to our regular panel: Donna Borman, Eve Harvey, Carolyn Sutar, and Dave Bartram for being such good choosers of books this evening um, all the links well actually not really any links at all but all the titles um, of any significance I think we have to say that have been mentioned will be available in the show notes won't they Eve it's a lot for you to they do will. It's a lot, there's a lot I for you to shall. transcribe I will listen to it and pause it and have to listen to my sale which will be lovely oh, well, <laughs> it'll be good for you um <laughs> And if you are on holiday, let's hope that we've inspired you to uh, to broaden your reading a little bit and try something new with a bit of recommendation behind it. And if you're staying at home, well, let's hope you've still got time to sneak in a little bit of extra reading. Let's hope your After Dark will be back with you, although we individually won't be. Uh, we'll be back with you next week. So see you then. Bye. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.